0: Empires of the Future, everyone talking about the church in a time of change, and we are still in a time of change. We're shifting, we're trying to open back up, I know. Uh,
1: our church was open up on Sunday.
0: Right, and uh, we were around 60 at First Southern. Uh, you said you were around 30 people yeah, here, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, and so, you know, we're all trying to make our way through this. I uh, mm-hmm. hope you're all doing well out there.
1: Now, did you have more mass people or more non-mass people?
0: We had more non-mask okay, people. We had more
1: masked people okay. here. Yeah, we're a bunch of followers, I guess, around here. <laughs>
0: I, you know, y'all you are more cautious. That it was, people did keep their space, but keep, people seemed to be uh, looking to socialize more, and, and so, yeah, that's where we were.
1: Yeah, you know, it was an interesting Sunday, you know, just to kind of be worshiping with masks on, and then going up front to speak and forgetting you have a mask on.
0: Right, I bet that was
1: odd. Taking it off multiple times. Right,
0: yeah. Well, so today we have uh, this theme of kind of anxiety tied to parenting. Um, And a couple of different articles, actually both from The Atlantic that we're going to look at. Uh, I I am sure neither of us are claiming to be uh, professional parents, but we are parents. Uh, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. How old are your kids now, Matt?
1: So we added a new one just recently. So we have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and I guess he will be three months, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, at the end of this week.
0: Right, and uh, so that's where we are. Uh, It is a journey. Uh, I've enjoyed very much being a parent because you immediately you're in a fraternity, you know. I had people coming up to me pretty much immediately and kind of going, look, we're all in this together, you know, like, <laughs> you can make it, you're going to make it, and uh, I appreciated that, you know. Um, people have been really encouraging, parenting is a struggle, and and so this, we get into quite a few things today, it's all in an encouraging uh, tone, look, this is, we are all doing our best to make it through it, but I did feel that this article is a great way to bring up some really important issues today, and um, to make sure that we Recognize uh, the tensions we have to be living in as parents um, in the the time that we live. We always talk about how we're in this time of change and parenting has certainly changed. Uh, I think everybody is on board with that, so we're going to look at that today. Um, But before we do, this is an article uh, by Elizabeth Flock. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, just about the rise of anxiety. It's called, uh, I was depressed before all this, now what? Mm -hmm. And she starts it, she says, the pandemic has been described as a mass trauma, a collective grief, and a feeling like it's the end of the world. And um, this has been a stress for people. Uh, This immediately brings to mind, I've been reading recently uh, because of uh, my interest in a guy named Jonathan Haidt. He's brought up uh, and and really uh, talks about a a, um, a method of treatment called cognitive behavioral therapy. And Mm -hmm. one of the things, uh, there are a lot of kind of everyday methods that they use in it. One of the reasons that I, I like to read about it and learn about it is because they talk about uh, kind of like problems that we have in um, in the way we perceive our world and how if you let those live inside of your mind, it can create emotional problems because you, you kind of basically believe your own hype. And I, I say that to say that uh, this opener, the opening sentence of this, uh, I, I think is is a, is a little bit overblown. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a phrase in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, CBT, they call it, uh, called catastrophizing, mm. um, and mass trauma. It, it's a trauma if you have experienced pain directly. So people have lost a family member have certainly experienced trauma, but this is this is a great difficulty, and so um, that opening line is leading into what we are experiencing, what a lot of people are experiencing, that if you had any kind of mental health uh, challenges before, this is going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So here are the symptoms of depression, uh, social withdrawal, a feeling of hopelessness, trouble concentrating, lack of exercise, or the activities you once enjoyed, uh, sleeping too much, or not at all. And you know, one thing I think that you see um, as you examine things in ministry, as you deal with people who have challenges, is that the, the symptoms and the effects are, are often tied to the causes and the diseases. So, for instance, we've been forced to do social withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So that's almost inevitably going to lead to depression. To some degree,
1: right? Yeah, and I think it's interesting because there's been a there's an article in the newspaper this weekend about again like what should we do in in response to the economy, uh, public health, and I think there's more people starting to to identify the issue of when you have twenty million unemployed, uh, when you have many that are dealing with um, you know isolation. Uh, you're going to have very extreme depression and it's going to cause suicide. You're going to get deaths from that end as well. And I think you're starting to see more people starting to talk about that. As what are we going to do in regards to mental health and how people are suffering on that end? They may not have COVID-19, but they're struggling in a different way. Now, which I find interesting is there's probably not going to be much of a Hey, Parks and Rec is going to do an episode, a special episode about mental health. I doubt that's going to happen. Right? right. It's mostly about the COVID nineteen. I think that's uh, a thing that is easily um, people ignore or overlook the people who are going to struggle mentally or are struggling mentally because of this. Um, and it's so interesting about this writer here is that she lives in Taos, New Mexico, which I've been there once to go snow skiing. It's a gorgeous place, <clears throat> beautiful place. You would think. Oh, you know, the opportunity to be outside, this beautiful mountain. Yeah. I mean, there's not as many people, it's just you're in like some of the prettiest country in the, in, in the country yeah. and to be struggling with depression and be struggling with um, anxiety while um, you're in the smaller towns, so therefore you're probably not as impacted by uh, coronavirus, but you're still kind of forced to live in these, it, it be kind of shut into your home. And the inability to be outside and to go outside has uh, had a ma- major impact on right. people. Um, and um, and it's interesting because, again, reading this article and reading the article we're going to talk about later, about the anxiety age and the age of depression, it's, it's hard to really wrap your arms around it, especially in pastoral ministry, because I feel like with youth or college, this is a huge issue. Yes. I yes. think you spend more time talking about anxiety issues you talk about anything else mm-hmm. probably even more than lust yeah. Went back in like early 2000s and 90s it was about pornography and right. lust but I've talked more about anxiety with men and women yeah. than I even do about lust and so that's an interesting development yeah. and I don't know if necessarily we understand it well I mean right. sure pornography it's like all right you know find a software. Know, get accountability partner. You know, bada bing bada, right. bada boom. Um, with this, it's like it's so complicated. It's so um, a lack of understanding, uh, and it's very personal, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to communicate your issues. Right. You may it may make sense to you, but the person you're talking to may not understand it yeah. and may interpret it wrongly. Um, and so, it's a very it's very difficult for me as I think about this to really understand it well. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, that's certainly true uh, for all of us. I think that our goal today, um, especially as we get into struggles that young people are having, um, is to raise the concerns, to talk about the big areas that people are questioning right now, and then to say, look, this is what we're watching. Uh, this is what we're trying to sort through. Uh, don't have all the answers, but we're trying to keep watch just like you are, just like you are if you're a student, just like you are if you're a parent, because um, there are people that we love in this world who are struggling, and mental health has been a, a life issue for forever, for mm-hmm. in the entirety of human history. Um, yeah, sure. I think that we now, um, it, I think we're coming out of a time in history where like, we've solved certain health you know issues, I mean, painkillers, uh, going from, you know, look, bite this stick, mm-hmm. to, oh, I'm going to give you this, and you pretty much won't feel the pain. That's a zero to one, and that's happened, yeah. you know, in, say, our grandparent's lifetime. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I, I, I think that there's certainly a wish that we could just solve this, yeah. and we are not... We're not there. We are. We are identifying various issues and then trying to, to work uh, forward from those and right I, now. An
1: and this is not necessarily uh, the article wasn't really related to this, but it made me think of it. There's a discussion right now between like individual health and like public health, mm-hmm. where, and a lot of the article was arguing that a lot of uh, like the genome project, mm-hmm. Francis Collins, is very like individualized. Like, how can we? Based off this particular person's medical history, how can we affect medical change in their lives? Yeah. Really, very much. Uh, there's not a lot of um, um, innovation and advancement when it comes to public health. Mm-hmm. Even when we talk about like health insurance as mm-hmm. a policy, we think of it. Sometimes there's an argument between individual health insurance and yep. then public, right. right? So there's this kind of fight. And I think about mental health, it's so individualized. It's like, well, I struggle with anxiety or I struggle with depression. And it's something like you have to kind of figure out on your own or you go out and get a therapist and you work together to figure out your problems uh, or you come up with your own remedies of your own problems. But there's very little public discussion about depression and anxiety, right? Right. and, And so maybe that's one of the things that may come out of this as more maybe more people discover maybe that they struggle with depression because of the pandemic that mm-hmm. maybe there will be more of a, a public platform or maybe there will be more experts in the field that will come together to yeah. find solutions that and as we as pastors can kind of piggyback off some of their, their advice or counseling or some of the other discoveries that we can start utilizing in our own ministry
0: yeah so there's a takeaway from this that i think is um really important and it's kind of like a personal spiritual health question that i want to ask you about uh she talks about how she would wake up and there there'd be different things that she could do you mean talking about she's in a beautiful place you can go and be outside Uh, i've had this peculiar experience of moving away from where i'm from in southern illinois and then finding out there are people who go there and they find it beautiful they uh, you know, the Garden of the Gods is there along with a lot of other places, but I think when you grow up there, you just take that for granted. Um, now the phrase she used was, I was too distracted by the news to do the things that I felt like I could enjoy. And in a, in a lot of ways, what, um, what has happened for all of us in the last few months is we have replaced a lot of social interaction with media engagement. Whether that is uh, reading, keeping up with news and news conferences, or whether it's entertainment—whether that's in form of TV, video games—you know, I'm sure music and, and uh, a lot of different things. But you're a big news guy; you read a lot of articles. How do you, um, how do you kind of maintain? That's enough. How do you, how do you kind of keep from, uh, especially in this time where it's like, hey, got some more bad news for you today, or we just like to rehash the same. COVID-19 news with you. How do you find that balance?
1: Well, it's so interesting. You know, uh, I have said on multiple occasions in the last few weeks, I'm tired of reading the news because yeah. it's the same thing over yeah. and over again. Um, and uh, I even mentioned, like, yeah, there's not as many, like, international news. There's not any articles about Afghanistan or, mm-hmm. or Syria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still a civil war, I think, going on there. Like, there's just a lot of other issues in the world that have a just kind of dropped, right? Because yeah. again, it's not pulling people in into the, to the news, We're kind of focus on this one event, this one, and different aspects and subcategories of this one event. Um, and so rarely do you see, I don't listen to NPR very much anymore, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same thing yeah. that I'm reading in the newspapers. So I'll listen to like sports radio most of the time, which is like still talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic, but also, talking about other things that not necessarily related, and yep. so that's kind of a, a, a relief. Um, but it is, and I don't watch a lot of like local national news on television, so that's I don't see how someone could watch like Fox News like, over and over yep. again right now. Yep. I think that would be, uh, or even, even watching Twitter and just looking yeah. at different cases. Yeah, there I are agree. people out there that like watch and are updating themselves on the cases on yeah. a daily basis, and I don't see, like, what the benefit of that is. Right. Um, and um, and so, yeah, I think um, there is a sense, and just a, a kind of I wanted to say this when you were asking the question, that's why I kind of smiled, but just even recently, uh, as of this weekend, um, felt a little bit on edge about opening the church on Sunday because uh-huh. there were so many different articles either Gospel Coalition or Nine Marks or the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Council or it's the Baptist Press or another entity that's writing like, hey, here's something. It's like such such overload on information yeah. that you're like, well, what are they saying? Let me correlate it with what they're saying. Right. Am I missing something? And it's so much. And my wife mentioned an article today and I kind of didn't snap at her, but kind of snapped internally like I can't take any more right. information about how people can get the coronavirus in a room,
0: yep. and
1: how like yep. how like if, even if you sing a song, like you know you yep. worship, yep. how people could be impacted or affected with the coronavirus. I'm like I can't take it anymore yep. because I feel like we're there's an invisible mm-hmm. um, there's an invisible power around us that is just waiting to like kill us, yep. right? Yep. And it's like you, especially as leaders, when you're making decisions there is a sense where you're on just information overload. It's just mm-hmm. like, I don't want to make a decision because I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision right. because there's just too much information.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think it's huge to, uh, to catch that check that happens yeah. in your heart and then
1: yeah.
0: to probably most of the time you should go, all right, then that's probably enough. That's and if you, if you, I think there's something internally that can happen there where you go, but what if something's out there that, sure. that I really need to know? Yeah, sure. Listen, I... I really think it would be healthy. In most situations, if we need to go, I am not the one in control here. I can't carry this whole weight on my own. I'm not going to be able to read every article. I'm not going to be able to remember every single thing. I cannot guarantee that this is going to, that, that everyone I know and love is going to be protected at all times. This is, this is the precise reason that we talk about trusting God for your daily provision, knowing that, he gives our daily bread. We can't bear that weight. We can't do it. And I think there are checks inside of us that can tell us, hey, that's enough. And, and then I think when you, um, when you have moments where you're going, you know, I feel all right. Well, take those moments and kind of go, let me set some boundaries for myself sure. yeah. and go, this is about what I can handle right now. Because that's where all of us have to be. There's none of us that can do it all. And we depend on each other, even at a distance sometimes. Um, and so I think that does happen, that you get that sense. And do not try to override that sense. When you get a sense that you've had enough, mm-hmm. that's it, and let it be.
1: And I know we're going to talk about uh, child anxiety a little bit, but yeah. you know, and maybe think, and we should definitely talk about this uh, as an episode because I think it's a part of this of like trust. Who do you trust? What yep. institutions do you trust? And I think in our day and age, there's while there's so much information there's also a sense where you really can't trust the information either. And mm-hmm. so you read all this information, yep. but then you're the, you're kind of, your you're the trust factor, yep. factory. So you basically, well, I only really trust myself. Mm-hmm. That can kind of lead to a lot of anxiety. Am I, I mean, I have to only trust myself. So therefore I have to be an expert on everything. That's right. And I think that is an issue. Um, and I I'm not sure if she talks about this, this in particular, but I know that like, the idea of who do you trust? And I think even like as pastors, we wish that the church or people in our church would trust us, especially when it comes to the Bible and our thoughts on the Bible. But even there, I don't think a lot of people don't trust even their pastors in the sense. of like, yeah, but you may be wrong. You know, and, and so therefore I should probably be the expert in or it, it, the doc, doctors, I don't know if I trust you. Yeah. So I think I'm going to probably figure it out on my own and uh, and just really kind of go back to, compliment, uh, like compliment, uh, uh, what is it, confirmation bias. Right, yeah. And I don't know if that's a part of this anxiety question, um, but I think it is an issue in our day where we just try to find Google article. I mean, yeah. uh, articles online just to kind of, that kind of agree with us. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, you're like, I'm not really an expert in this field. Should okay. I trust myself? It's just, I think it's a very complicated thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's, I think that's, that's a wise thing to bring up because we, uh, we are on this train, and we have been for quite a while, of less and less trust mm-hmm. in institutions, less and less trust in uh, people at different levels and different sectors of society, and certainly we can't just trust anyone. But the answer is not to just go, well, looks like then I'll just do it all myself. I'll just figure it all out for myself like you said, expert on everything. You can't be an expert. You cannot. Right. There's too much out there. Right. I mean, um, I had never, growing up in a small town, I never had any idea uh, of what goes on in academia until I got to the seminary and to see people. It's like, this guy's devoted 40 years to reading about this very, very specific subject. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you're studying something like, you know, Hebrew that was... Uh, It's spoken and written from 800 to 500 BC. It's like, look, you're not going to be an expert on that. But then the thing about it is there's so much information now about every subject that there is something to be said for trusting experts. And the way that you want to get there is, yeah, you can be a generalist and you can learn a little bit. You can learn the basics. That makes for a great... uh, a, a, a great way of getting through the world is to know the basic principles. Then you can interpret what the experts right. are saying, but you cannot be an expert on everything. And, and a lot of it is trust. A lot of it is going, you know what? I I mean, certainly in the last couple of months, I'd say a lot of us have gone, I am not an epidemiologist. <laughs> no. uh, I, I don't know anything about epidemics. I don't know how this, you would
1: think everyone had that degree by different people. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know,
0: uh, I, I don't, I don't know how we get diseases. I mean, and, and and goodness gracious, if you feel really confident in this, I, I really would hope that you would read some of these articles and go, huh, because you read these articles and people who are experts would go, well, could last a day, on, you know, these, this, these, this virus could live a day on the surface or two or a week or two, depending on circumstances, like, look, this is complicated. And, and it, given that uh, science loves closed experiments and the world is not a closed experiment, it's very difficult for them to answer those questions and, and yeah that's that's kind of how science works they would love to tell you well here's the deal you know we we closed this uh, this controlled little chamber and and this is how long it lasts but we can't tell you about your doorknob okay then again we do our best and and still yet our best is is what god asks of us you know seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then we do our part, and the rest, he'll take care of it. And, and, and that's, that's where we live. There's none of us that can do any more than that.
1: And I think there's just so much burden and stress when you have to be the, the, the most knowledgeable health physician in your home, the most knowledgeable political, sure. uh, religious, everything. And I think we lived in a, there was a day, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, where, you know, people got their news from... You know, the paper, or from mm-hmm. the, the nightly radio show, or the what they watch, they got their kind of theology from their pastor yeah. and their own reading of the Bible, uh, and they stayed kind of with. I know this is a term that people don't like, but they stayed within their lanes, yeah. right? And there's something comforting about staying in your lane, and not being stressed with someone else's lane, right? You just kind of staying where where your skills allow, yep. and you you care about your family, and you're not worried about another lane. You're just like, well, I have a pastor that I I talk to and I trust that he is helping me and guiding me through the scriptures. Uh, I trust who's, you know, I trust these other people, my doctor who's telling me about my health. He just had this sense of trust that has definitely gone. Mm -hmm. That is no longer the the world today. And it's a lot of stress (laughs) to carry that with you every day where you're having to make all these decisions and trust your own kind of initiative, your own gut. Mm -hmm. That's, just a, that's a lot of burden
0: to carry. It is. It is. And so, um, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He says, uh, This is exact. this really is the context of those kinds of verses. The, the world's burden is heavy. It is too heavy to say heavy. to you, Listen, everything's against you, you can only trust yourself. Know about everything, and if you fail, man, it's all on you. No, that, that's too heavy of a burden. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It, it is literally that is the burden that will destroy you, mm-hmm. and um, and that is the goal of the enemy to destroy you by going like you can't trust anybody. You can only trust you. You have to be the expert on everything. And secretly, I think if you are willing to observe yourself in how you do end up trusting, what I do, if I am just living in this like I will only trust myself. Well, then I'll read an article or two, and then I'll be like. Oh, complicated and I'll be like I guess I'm probably going to read one more article and then kind of whatever I feel at that point I'll just go with it well look you didn't you didn't search the you know the ends of the earth for that answer you kind of just you know this is what us keyboard warriors do we we're like well I guess I'm going to read about this for a while and then you go ah, you know I guess this is my kind of conclusion for right now because we can't there's so many things to know about you can't know about it all and, uh, and so that's, that's often what happens in the quiet of our little study, you know, is that we, we read about to, to our heart's desire and then we go, I guess I kind of stand here. Uh, we have to have willingness to change our minds as the information comes out, to be humble and to go, you know, turns out I guess I was wrong about that. And uh, this is where I'm at on this issue today. Uh, depending, you know, on what you find out. And, uh, you know, we've all been having to learn about how diseases are transmitted how masks work and so many different things. And so uh, humility, I guess that's a, a good place to shift gears is that humility is important.
1: That's, uh, not, I know you haven't seen the last dance, mm-hmm. so, but there is a, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of controversy that in, in Jordan's life because he, he said that Republicans buy sneakers too. Because basically... Uh, Democrats wanted him to kind of come out for a senator running in North Carolina, and he made the statements like, "That's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not a politician. I really don't really care about politics all that much. I'm a basketball player, and I sell shoes." Yeah. Uh, and there's this sense where people are like, no, "No, no, 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 you have to have an opinion." Right. And he's like, "I don't have an opinion." And he ended up his his mom like basically encouraged him to he's like support him like monetarily, so he did that. But he didn't come out and say, "Hey, vote for this person, yeah. vote for that person," because yeah. he said, "There's some people who may not like what I have to say, yeah. and they buy my sneakers too, right?" And I think there's a sense where we get, like, you, "You, you have to have an opinion." Yeah. And there's a day and age like Jordan he was like, "No, that's not my lane. Yeah. This is my lane. Yeah, that's gone." Yeah. But there's a sense where like, but there's a lot of criticism of Jordan's view there. It's like, I think he's right. You mm-hmm. know, like. Maybe amongst private people, mm-hmm. you give your opinion about your politics and your positions about things, and um, and then you, but publicly, knowing your public stance, that's just not something you want to divide people on, um, and I don't, you know, I think that more of that wisdom needs to kind of be brought into our society a little yeah. bit, and then you just kind of take away that anxiety and stress yeah. to have, have to have to an opinion on everything. Yeah, that's out there, yeah
0: absolutely. Um, So, I want to shift gears to childhood in an anxious age. This is by Kate Julian. This is also in The Atlantic. And this is a longer article. So, we've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks, uh, kind of getting ready for this. And so, this article is about the rise in anxiety among children, especially, but then ties in parents inevitably uh, for multiple reasons. and so it starts out this way, will the future be more or less stressful than the present? And it asked, uh, showed some surveys of uh, different people. Will the United States be less powerful in the future and more divided? What will happen with the environment? Uh, wider gaps, uh, will there be wider gaps between the rich and the poor? Will the standard of living uh, rise? And uh, and so immediately is looking to circumstances. Okay, is it, are we going to have more issues in the future because our circumstances are getting worse but then it, it goes to uh, those concerns we have this pressing question uh, okay so what do we do in regards to our children and telling them about things in this world that are stressors to us um, and, and what is the kind of pattern um, the way we treat our children. Uh, So obviously we protect our children from physical harm, but to trampoline us off here, uh, here's some some data that should get our attention. From 2007 to 2017, the percentage of 12 to 17-year-olds who had experienced a major depressive episode, uh, and that means hospitalized for suicidal thoughts, uh, some, some kind of harmful activity is what you have with a major depressive episode. So it shot up uh, eight to 13%, so that's two million people to 3.2 million uh, severely depressed teenagers, and among girls, one in five, and uh, one in five uh, young girls. And this is something I, I would expect you have experienced dealt with directly. I, I know I have, trying to help uh, young people whether it's this age, we're talking about 12 to 17 year olds in the, the college age, uh, I've seen it uh, and, and dealt with it uh, personally. And then the other uh, the other striking statistic is to, to get out of the gate, suicides in 10 to 24 year olds rose 56% from t- 2007 to 2017. So there's a 10 year span from 2007 to 2017 uh, suicides rise 56 percent um and that is that is a an awful number to hear
1: and, and then the article mentioned this but so i mean is, is it is suicide now the second cause of death i believe so age? after homicide right uh, it, it, no, it's after, after car accidents I, that's right yeah and then so it's suicide second yeah okay. i couldn't remember if it was first or second so um i i i, I think when i was reading this article I kept coming back to and I don't think they get into this in particular she doesn't get she yeah, yep. yeah Kate, Kate she doesn't get into this in particular but I think that there is a, a kind of a, a sub point to this or category of this that's worth discussing is generation generations themselves because you know being like an older millennial an older millennial born like kind of 1980 early 1980s Um, We lived grew up during the Clinton 90s, -hmm. right? (laughs) Pretty peaceful time. U.S. was not at war. Uh, We uh, probably one of the most extended amounts of time of prosperity in the United States. You know, unemployment was low. Prosperity was high. Um, Again, no wars. And just, it was a very, that's why the the, the Bill Clinton kind of uh, crisis with the interim was such a big deal because right? mm-hmm. there really isn't anything major really going right. on that worth talking about. So this was something that, that politically they just kind of been into, um, and so. But then what happens in 2001? You have 9/11. You have a terrorist attack, and the U.S. has been at war since then. Mm-hmm. So every child born into this world, like in the late 90s, which is a lot of these kids are, right? They have lived in a world of. War, mm-hmm. You have in 2008, you have the mortgage crisis, right? You have basically Wall Street melts mm-hmm. down. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost their homes. So you have 9-11 and then you have this, and now you've got a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You've got three major events happening in within what, 20 years mm-hmm. that have somewhat defined the generation. You wanna know why a generation is full of anxiety and stress. A lot of events in its generation that have caused a sense of anxiety as their parents, as raised them with their own stress, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that is a, a major issue because in my growing up, it was all about, you know, hey, like, you know, the world is out there, experience the world, like, try new things, yeah. you know, like, it was that was the kind of world that we lived in, and there wasn't a sense of anxiety and stress, you know, there wasn't an issue of. Of um, a lot of, were parents my own parents didn't put a lot of worry and Mm -hmm. and stress on me, my wife as well, and so we lived in almost in a, nine eleven I think was a defining moment amongst a generation, and when you lived before then, you remember some pretty good, safe peaceful times where a lot of kids don't.
0: Yeah, so this is a great, um, that is a great start to talking about the things that that they have their their eye on as mm-hmm. far as factors that are uh, being questioned is, is this the major factor or are all these factors together so uh, you're talking about world events mm-hmm. um, they talk about antidepressants are prescribed uh, to parents uh, I, I was very surprised by a statistic that uh, in here, more than one quarter of all doctor visits in America now end with an anti-anxiety medication prescription, Uh, more than one quarter of all doctor visits. And so you have uh, medicated parents, but then they, we went through this period where children were medicated for a while, but they determined that uh, it's having a harmful effect on uh, their system. So we are no longer prescribing antidepressants for children because they're unpredictable in their effects, and, and I mean, to read the article, it was you could see exactly why they had stopped, because for some children, they would accelerate suicidal behavior. Uh, they, they, were not, they were not predictable to the point that sometimes they made it worse, mm-hmm. and so uh, they're not doing that, but then this is their first question, you know, okay, so this has gotten worse. Do we stick with this plan, given that suicides and depressive behaviors on the rise. Um, one factor that, as we talked about, uh, one in five young girls is experiencing depression. Uh, girls are getting their period earlier and earlier, and that's been the case for a long time, and it has continued. Um, and so then you have hormone issues, and, and anybody who has dealt with teenagers and, and talked to teenagers in any way, you know that, that mood swings and hormones are all tied in together with this feeling this sense of stress and and loneliness and all of that. And then uh, finally, the big one that no one will be surprised by, which is smartphones, social media, kind of the whole web of how that affects um, young people. um, Because then you're talking about are talking about texting, you're talking about young people being exposed to the whims of each other, whether those are whims that are, uh, hey, let's go do this risky thing together, or it's whims such as, hey, I hate you. Mm-hmm. Get you a text at one in the morning that says, I hate you, and all the people at school hate you now, too. I mean, right. like, that's a stress inducer. <laughs> right,
1: right. Yeah, the bullying effects right. with social media is, I mean, again... Growing up in the awkwardness of teenage years right. in high school middle school and high school pre social media. Right. This is what me and you bullying was was public. Yeah. It was out there, right? You someone who was bullied in the hallway like everyone saw. And it was kinda like there was teachers to somewhat protect, right? Or parents to protect. Now there's bullying that happens in the digital Social media world. Parents aren't involved. Teachers right. are not involved. And so, how do you police this? Right. You can have a kid who's bullied on and on and on and on and on, and nobody knows about it. And then commit yep. suicide, and be like, "Why did he commit suicide? Why right. did she commit suicide?" And you're like, "That we didn't see that coming because right. it was all unseen, right. unheard." And how do you protect that? How do you right. create boundaries to that? So that's a. I mean, even though I don't feel old at 36. That's a that's a totally different world, like high school, middle school, or even less than that, because kids are growing up faster now. Right? Um, They're in a world that none of us have ever been in before. Just because you have a Facebook account or a Twitter account or Instagram account doesn't mean you're in the same world. Right. And I think that, in and of itself, is difficult to to really understand the complexities and. The evilness that's mm-hmm. happening, even from that end, as kids deal with being bullied or even being a bully right. to others, right. you know, and just the anxiety and stress that is created. As already, your teenager, right? I mean, it was already an awkward time of your life, anyways. Mm-hmm. Adding that on top of it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's too much to bear.
0: Yep. So. Uh, and you cannot keep up with it. The, the challenge as far as, um, you know, at first, I remember going, well, you know, okay, we'll adapt to this social media and we'll ha- I'll have an account and different leaders, we can, we can be in this. Well, uh, because youth culture has existed for quite a long time now, uh, the effect that we've seen is they made the world private. So if you join Facebook uh, back in the day if you join Snapchat now or Instagram or even uh, try to get on in on the crazy world that is TikTok and the things that they specifically will guide their interactions so that you are not a part of them and so like you said getting to the bottom of what's going on has become increasingly difficult And and I think that brings us to our first kind of major intersection which is The device itself, if that is the enabler, then you need to deal with the device itself. And you're not going to be able to control, say, oh, since I took care of their Instagram uh, account, well, now they won't be able to interact with their friends. So many platforms today have interactive chat functions, and they'll find some way, and and so if if you're dealing with a a child, a young person, teenager, who is at a point uh, to where whether the the self-destruction is like depression or if it's just complete isolation, like they talked in here about kids who decided, you know, I just don't want to go to school in any way, shape, or form, you know, it's like, look, that's pretty harmful to... uh, to the rest of your life. And I, I felt for these parents, they were talking about these parents who were going, well, I can't just take the internet away from them. And yes, you can. Uh, and this the is- The internet
1: is air. I mean, it's the way that it's viewed, it's air. Right. Like without it, I can't breathe, right? It's seen connectivity yep. is equal to water. And air and food to a generation that's always had it right uh, and so the idea we'll we're just kind of unplug the internet like i mean that 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 is a um, how that is viewed is being connected being disconnected from the entire world right yeah and so like it's a fight that and there's a book called wired Chil- child right and how to like how to raise children in a digital age and, and so um, I think it'll be it's a somewhat it'll be different for us because we've grown up with the internet we've been growing up with this technology and maybe we're a little bit, we have a little more experience to, and we know the pitfalls with our own kids yeah. um, that is the hope right as we go forward um, but you know I was I am fascinated with in this anxiety discussion is this, I know you got right here just the Accommodations that the yeah. parents do. Like I remember the one story in here that I thought was just ridiculous. A mother had peed in a cup. She was because her child in the basement was to be left alone. Right. Like yeah. that, I just thought of that. i like, wow. You have to really be at a certain level yeah. to kind of do that. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to do this so my child won't be left alone. You're uh, wondering who's really raising who, mm-hmm. who has the real power and authority in the situation. And you're going to ask me this, but. Uh, Start thinking about ways that you do the same thing. Yep. For your kids. How do you accommodate them to their own detriment? Yep. You know? um, and so um, I know you were going to ask the question. About yeah, it, but I. I was good. Yeah. Well, is there anything? What do you when you were reading this article? What did you catch yourself kind of?
0: So we have a list here, and I yeah. I, I look very much forward. <laughs> let me let me get to that in just a moment. Uh, so so before we leave this issue one of the things that they advise, and if you do get to the point to where you need serious counseling, you're going to encounter people who say, look, you're going to have to change this child's circumstances for certain periods of the day. So if your child says, no, I'm just going to stay home from school and I'm not doing anything all day but play, you know, Fortnite, well, look, you can take you can take your router and unplug it and take it with you to work. Mm-hmm. And you can take the phone with you. And, and a part of... Uh, what they're talking about in, the, in this article is, listen, you've got to learn to enforce these boundaries. Otherwise, you're not gonna get anywhere. You're, there will be no change if all of these behaviors are just being reinforced. And uh, and so that's huge. Um, now we've been, since we've been in uh, this, talking about this issue of um, anxiety for, for both of these, Articles. I think that the starting place that is really important to mention, and you and I have talked about this the last few days as we've been uh, thinking about this article, is that it is normal to have days where you are up and days where you are down. Sure. That is the normal human experience. And, right. and I think we've been conditioned a lot to feel that normal is, I ought to feel good every day. I ought to feel motivated. I ought to want to go conquer the world. And I... You and I have talked enough in our friendship that I know that you have down days and you have updates, and I do too. And, and I think it's important to say that's okay, that's normal, and it's, it, it is, is, in fact, the baseline for what it is to be human in this broken world. Um, and that we, uh, we with, with ourselves as friends, but with all, all of our other friends too, we don't expect of each other hey, man, don't be a downer on me, you know? Like, yeah. no, if it's how you feel today, then that's fine. Right. That's a part of what it is to have friendships is to be there for each other no matter where you are. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know what it is that's going on, but I really do feel that that expectation has changed and a lot that most people expect I should feel up generally or something's wrong.
1: Right, I think, yeah, and, and especially if someone, like, I'm I'm a, an introverted um, my personality uh, typically um, I'm kind of a task-first person um, and so a lot of times if um, you know sitting and working and, and concentrating on something but also not really exist not motivated to attack the day you're just, just kind of doing your task right mm-hmm. people will give you this it's kind of like well what's wrong Matt and it's like well there's nothing anyway particularly wrong, but it's going to take me an hour to explain this to you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say, I'm fine. Yeah, sure. But that doesn't really work. Like, that that answer doesn't get across to people, yep. oh, well, Matt's just, he's not super excited today. He's just trying to get through the day. Yep. That doesn't really work in our day and age. I think you're hitting on a good point. Uh, and so, especially for introverted people, we don't really want to communicate what we're feeling. Right. We just want to get on with what we're doing right yeah. but some people like that doesn't work and yep. so they go there has to be something wrong there's nothing wrong right right there's just life right but for people who are always kind of high mm-hmm. and they're you're not at they're at a high level mm-hmm. there has to be a reason why you're not at that level and it's like no I'm just typically not there and there's nothing right. super exciting going on in my life that I want to be there yep. I'm just kind of here yep. doing my task and um, that is an annoying thing. And, uh, you know, my wife, who's more extroverted, tends to be pretty peppy. Mm-hmm. She's gotten to know me because we've been married for but she doesn't ask me a lot of times, like, are you not feeling well? You're not okay. doing well? She's just kind of goes, oh, it's my husband I've been married to for a while. He's just not happy. He's not super excited right now. Yeah. He's just his normal self, right? right? But for people who don't see you yep. every day, or they, there has to be something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm not like you. And uh, that is an annoyance for people who are introverted. It's a complete annoyance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so inside of that, kind of underneath that umbrella, it's important to establish that anxiety is, uh, it's kind of just viewed as this base enemy in our day. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they mention in here, I think it's just an important fact that anxiety is a, universal and necessary response to stress and uncertainty. And so anxiety serves a purpose within us that there, there are uncertainties. We are trying to figure out how we're going to make it and go forward. Um, and, and because of that, we cannot just insulate children from stress and anxiety and go, I fixed it. Right. I solved it. Right. And, and that is that is probably um, a lot of answers in, that we deal with are not easy answers. And this is one of the complicating factors that is fundamentally necessary. You have to realize that anxiety tells you, you know, maybe I'm not ready for this. This has changed, to understand this has changed the way I deal with the teenagers that I'm dealing with right now. I have teenagers in the youth group who are 17, 18, and don't drive. And I used to think it's as simple as, well, then I just gotta tell them, let's get on it, buck up. And maybe that's the case for some, but I am convinced with some of them, too, that their anxiety is telling them, look, if you're going to um, be so nervous in driving that it affects you so much that you get in a wreck, then maybe your anxiety is right, that if it will try to get you ready for the task here. and that's what you have to determine. That. But, but understanding the purpose of anxiety is really important. Because anxiety is there to help you to realize, yeah, look, there's uncertainties in your path, and we're going to have to get you ready for them. Now, uh, we cannot, again, insulate our children from stress and anxiety. And so, Matt, I have a quiz for you here. Uh, I ask you to answer uh, yes, no, or maybe you'll have to clarify a little bit. Uh, I'll mention uh, whether or not I do these two. This is just total disclosure here for the both of us because I appreciated She had some behaviors that are, are happening right now, and I think pretty much any parent's going to say yes to one or two of these things because uh, given, depending on your kid's age and depending on certain personality habits. Um, so tell me yes or no, Matt. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So she starts out, be, be careful about being so accommodating as a parent that you shield your child uh, from the struggles of life. So Matt. Uh, do you get things for your, your children because they're scared, like go to another room and get them since they're scared to go in there?
1: Uh, and then you said yes or no, so I'm trying to think through this. Uh, typically, no. Okay. Uh, usually I would say, no, you need to go upstairs and get that. Yeah. Um, or what I'll do is say, hey, um, Lincoln, why don't you go with your sister upstairs? Yeah. You know, why don't you bring a partner with you? Yeah. But, um, but not doing it for them.
0: Okay. Yep. Not me either, really. Uh, tying shoes over and over to get them perfect.
1: The kids are I haven't really learned how to tie their shoes yet. Okay. Um, so these are these are behaviors, you, though,
0: like that right. perfectionism and helping kids together. Well, yeah. here's the good
1: thing about me: I'm not a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect perfection for myself most mm-hmm. of the time, and therefore I don't expect perfection for other, from others. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, I'm almost to a point where I can almost be the worst, worst for my kids because I'm like, oh, that'll be good enough. You mm-hmm. know, um, and and I think in some ways that's probably a good thing. In some areas, it may not be as good, but um, yeah, there you go.
0: Okay, uh, too much time checking homework. Your kids are six, four, nine.
1: Maggie is she just finished her, uh, her kindergarten year, um, and um, we help her with her homework. Um, but most of the time, you know, we let her answer the question. Okay, know. she's smart enough, anyways.
0: <laughs> yeah, my kids are too young, so um, to answer that one, announcing where you are in the house.
1: Just like randomly so and this or if would be ask.
0: this would be like no, this is like preparation. So oh, like exactly. they, you were in the kitchen, and they'll get too stressed if you move to the family room or in the back of the house, so you tell them before you even go there?
1: Yeah, no. If they say, Dad, where are you? Obviously, i will say, I'm in the office, sure, yeah. but no. That's weird.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things going on. Yeah, Yeah, that's weird. Um, uh, oh, the next one is just a, a detail one. Accompanying a nine-year-old to the toilet because he's afraid to be alone.
1: Yeah, so we let our daughter of six mm-hmm. go to the bathroom by herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will go with our now four-year-old but it'll probably be soon. We'll send yeah. them, and then after, if you're like, okay, well,
0: I'm trying to go check on them. But right. Yeah. yeah, and and so and some of these, as you will see, are dependent on the age because yes. obviously things shift. Nine-year-old. That's, that's.
1: Yeah, really and good. that's
0: what um, that's what kind of like getting behind on developmental goals is a is a question, and and, uh, and we'll move to some general things after this. But uh, okay, so next. Uh, letting your child stay in your bed, uh, laying by them until they fall asleep.
1: No.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we're still there with our two-year-old, uh, and with the four-year-old, we'll lay by him for a little bit and then, you know, two, five, ten minutes, something like that. He's good. Uh, so there, uh, cutting a 13-year-old's food because she's afraid she'll cut herself.
1: Well, our kids aren't 13, but, uh, uh, Typically, we'll let our kids try to cut it themselves but if they're struggling. We'll we'll pitch in. Uh, yeah. let let them help. I think, you know, and obviously we'll talk about this in the end, but trying to get your kids to be independent, you know, is, is definitely a, yep. a thing that we try to do. Uh,
0: ceasing to have visitors because the child is shy.
1: Yeah. Our daughter was shy, Maggie. Dad didn't stop us for now. Yes. Yep. She, she actually grew out of it. Right. You know, and... Um, that was a kind of a cool thing because then people are like, You used to be shy, when well, not you more. Right. They, yeah. they, can, they can see that development. Right. It's like it's so, It's like walking, right? Oh a child now walking, yeah, you're excited. Yeah. Same with this too, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh so now we we try to be actually we, we work to be as big on visitors as we can. Yeah. It's you know, it's yeah. important. Uh speaking for a child in restaurants.
1: No, not even for our three four year old. Mm-hmm. We let him speak. Uh, if He doesn't speak loud enough. We try to help sure. out, but yeah, let them speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're the same. Uh, that one's one where we're just a little bit old timey. I think, like, uh, you know, when it seems like back in the day, was like, yeah, yeah, hey, we're here. Do do your thing, kid. Your yeah. Thing?
1: yeah.
0: Uh, asking a child's teacher not to call on her in class.
1: And, yeah, and you're same with you though. But our child's only six. Yeah. But uh, no, we've never had that conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and even, you know, if these are not um, something that's pertinent for us yet, this is great. I I really appreciate these because they help us to get an idea of what is happening with kids and parents out in the world right now. Um, and then the last one, uh, preparing different foods because the child won't eat.
1: Okay, so here's, here's my pet peeve yeah, for this yeah. one. Um, and my wife is the same, um, especially me. Eating, like, the chicken nuggets every every meal, not going to fly. Yeah. So... Um, our expectation for our kids is that they're going to eat what we make and they're going to try to eat it. And there's not mm-hmm. going to be probably an alternative uh, provided. Um, and so one of the things is is our kids have learned to like certain foods that most kids don't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for their benefit, right? Um, so um, I, it drives me nuts when parents only feed their kids like two foods because they won't eat anything else. Well, Mm -hmm. the kid will figure out pretty soon that they better like some other foods or they're not going to eat,
0: right? Right. There was a, you're talking about the story that uh, you remember uh, the most, the turkey loaf story from this article really stuck with me about how they talked about this odd set of circumstances. It's not as if their family ate turkey loaf all the time, but uh, they kind of figured out by sort of happenstance that their child, this is like the one thing he would eat. uh, And at first you know, it mixed, but then he kind of just kept pushing, and eventually, that's all he would eat. It's turkey, it was turkey loaf. loaf. It's like a meatloaf. Yeah, and, and meat. it's and it's like it's like, a, idea, it's like a. I get the idea. It's like a meat salad, sort of. You know, like a turkey. Yeah. Kind of. So. Sure. Um. And and we we all experience this thing of our kids wanting a certain thing, and and I think this one is the one out of all these. that's a tug of war for everyone. Yeah. And. Uh, this is a good place to move to some general principles. So the first general principle, um, there's that old saying about that you don't prepare the road for your child, prepare the child for the road. Uh, This world is is harsh and is going to be very difficult. And we are experiencing, we've been going through for a while a time where Circumstances have been shifted, to a degree, to accommodate kids, and I think we're coming to the end of what we can do uh, as far as that goes. Um, you and I have talked a fair amount about college campuses, about some of the dangerous thing happening on college campuses uh, with safe spaces and yeah. and, and how views are views have come to be uh, considered dangerous mm-hmm. uh, because because it, I, these could be harmful to me because I don't like them. And and we've changed the language so much that that it seems that the pendulum is about to be ready to swing yeah. back. And it is right along these lines that preparing your child for the road, preparing your child for the fact that, you know, first of all here, you, you can't eat the same food. Now on this, I will say we struggle just like other parents. Um, we try to toe the line, our, our general principle is there's going to be one thing made for oh, a dinner, especially yeah. lunch. off and you're grabbing something yeah, it's sure, a little sure. easier, but yeah. there's going to be one thing made. If you don't want to eat that, well, it'll be there on the table and that's the thing. Right. And if, if right. you want, you know, sit, you sit here at dinner time, you don't eat it. It'll sit there and then at bedtime, you'll just go to bed. And if you got to be hungry when you go to bed, that will hopefully change your mind about eating what, what the family eats Um, because you know a part of this is understanding the nature of 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 a child the nature of a human being which is kids can become a little tyrant to my way this is how this is how I want the world to be and parent you seem to be willing to to let me have the world the way I want it and so I'll enforce my will on you Um, and so that that would say I would say is the first uh, principle we need to step in here is that You really do. You need to look at the world and to go. And in this regard, this article I found it a little strange, even the where it started about, boy, it might be worse in the future. It's like, well, in degrees, there might be some things that get a little worse. But if you have, uh, I was not too interested in history until kind of college, post college, and man, history. It's been really rough on humanity. There's been a lot of really bad periods in history mm-hmm. and and to read I, I no longer have any stomach for this statement I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could bring a child into this world. It's like, okay, this world it's not a bad world <laughs> you know I mean there's some problems but but man, you know there's not like barbarians at the gate you know like (laughs) the The
1: chances of getting to age 12 is right yeah pretty low you know (laughs) yeah
0: the infant mortality rate dramatic like you live at the lowest infant mortality rate in all of human history there's something to be said for that that's pretty big deal you know Uh, so there's a lot to be said uh, at a baseline for the world that we live in and so I really don't uh, have ears to hear you know, that boy this world is so broken. I don't know if we can bring a child into it. It's like, you know, look, if you don't if you don't want to have kids, you can just say that. Uh because the world, uh yes, there are issues, but man, we get to do a lot of amazing things. Yeah. I mean, we really do and and, and um and, Yeah. Go ahead. Do I, <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm, gonna, I'm bringing it back to the last dance again. I apologize to this. But, you know, there's the famous story is, you know, Jordan got cut from his JV basketball team. Yeah, right? yeah, He comes home. He's crying his, ear, his eyes out, right? And his mom goes, well, basically get better. Mm. That was her statement to her mm-hmm. son today. Mm-hmm. What would a, Michael Jordan's mom sure, have said? Right. Well, let me call the coach yeah. and complain. How could you yeah. possibly cut my boy yeah. from the basketball team? And she says we'll get better. So what did he do? He goes outside, shoots basketball shots, and gets better, and then makes the varsity team, and goes right. off to be one of the greatest basketball players ever. You know, and so there's a moment where you know, and also Jordan's childhood. He had an older brother. He was a middle child. Mm-hmm. He had an older brother. He, he they competed against each other, right. right? And that is a part of of, and I think and I know you have this at the bottom, but. All this really kind of comes down to what are, are parents willing for their kid to fall and scrape their leg and, and deal with some pain? Mm-hmm. Because I think that is one area of being a parent that you don't prepare yourself for. Mm-hmm. Of, man, I, my child's in pain and I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. that that's an internal feeling there of, I don't want my child to feel any pain. Yeah. And that is like the worst thing. Because it's really more about you not wanting to deal with your child in pain. Yep. And and dealing with their crying and their and their struggles and their disappointment and all the different things and their frustration. And you don't want them to go through that, so you try to create this safe space for them that yeah. they won't yeah. have any pain. And as you know as you said, the world is full of pain. Yep. And we're born into a world of pain. We are born in a world sinful and fallen and Pain is what you're going to experience in some degree, and so you can't protect them from it. Um, and the one thing is to help them you know, learn and gain wisdom as you have painful situations in your life and you grow through it, right? Yep. Um, and I think parents aren't willing to let their kids fail, yep. let their kids um, feel the frustration of pain and they just want to alleviate that, and that's mm-hmm. the worst thing possible, either. right? And I even like a child, like learning how to ride a bike, which is where we are with our daughter, and she's kind of on the verge of now learning how to ride a bike. The issue of I don't want to fall and or hurt myself yep. is an issue. Like, well, yep. okay, we won't learn how to ride a bike because you'll fall and hurt yourself. Yep. But when you say no, you're gonna you're gonna try to do this, and if you fall off, you know here's how you can protect yourself, but. If you fall off and hurt yourself, then we'll bandage you up and we'll go out and try again, right? right. That's Then the child gets to ride a bike, and that's the consequence. Would yep. it be better if the child never of his leg or her leg, and never, but then never rode a bike, right. oh, it's better that they ride a bike, right? right. And the freedom that that allows. Right. So.
0: And so that principle uh, is also, uh, and I appreciated this very much that, that she mentions in here, uh, be careful of short-term gain for long-term pain. Yeah. That the short, In the short term, you go, well, let me just fix this for you, mm-hmm. but that is not the recipe for long-term gains. Uh, you cannot uh, protect your child from every pain, and life is risk. I think a counterpart sort of principle here is that, look, life is a succession of risks, mm-hmm. and we have to uh, we have to look at our children. And, and I think this is another there is a basic trust here. Look, mm-hmm. I, if, if this was a world where all there was to care for my child was me. Well, that's, that is frightening. Yeah. Um, but we don't believe in that world. We believe that there is a God who cares for our children more than we do. We believe that we live in a Christian community. And so that I, I, I am so encouraged to know that at my church there are literally people who love my kids. Yeah, sure. yeah. And in addition to having a, a very supportive family, I do have a church family who... Has been asking about my kids for the last couple right, of months. Right. Who you can see on these people's faces, they really do want to see and encourage my children. That is right. amazing. I mean, right. that's incredible because um, there's an element of this that you mentioned, uh, that is the the anxiety of parents can affect children as well. And so you need to take care of your own anxiety. Mm-hmm. That will also be of a great help to your children, but go, go on that a little bit more. Yeah,
1: and I think um, it is the importance of, and you, we can get into a whole discussion on like family ministry type mm-hmm. of thing, and equipping parents to disciple their children, but you know, if parents understood that they were the chief disciple of their kids, not a youth ministry or a children's ministry. Um, then they would recognize that their spiritual growth is very important, right? Mm-hmm. Because it has an impact on their kids. If, they, if parents were able to figure out that their spiritual growth impacted their kids, how much more inclined would they be about right. growing their faith, right? right? Or looking for ways to grow their faith. And so if you recognize in your own life, wow, I really need to trust God, especially in this particular situation or in just in general, Realizing that that will have a major effect on right. my child's children's lives. Right. That if they see that we are trusting in God, even in times of yep. pain, even in times of struggle, they then will learn mm-hmm. to trust in God as they grow up. Okay. Instead of trusting in themselves or trusting in their parents or trusting in some other group, they'll recognize that God is really the chief person we have to trust. Right. That is so important in this. Okay. Uh, and I think a lot of your, I think what you're worth seeing. Even in this, own, this data right here, the l- lack of spiritual maturity in most families, parents, mm-hmm. either because they don't believe in God and are not saved and not Christians, or those who are, and who have not taken the, the important steps of truly understanding God's Word, truly showing who God is, yep. and, and, and then kind of embracing and that aspect of who God is and trusting God because they've neglected that. Yep. The children are are being affected by that. And we're trying to say, well, it's because of social media, which in some ways it is. Or it's because there's a war or there's been some economic issues, which those are issues. Mm -hmm. But maybe that is the major issue. Because I keep on coming back to, I mean, what does God tell the people of Israel through Moses and Deuteronomy? It tells the parents to raise up their children in the ways of the Lord. It doesn't say, hey, raise them up in the way of the world and also make sure they become rich or Mm -hmm. make sure they're the smartest person in their class or Mm -hmm. make sure that they're beautiful, make sure that they're popular Mm -hmm. it doesn't say any of those things it says raise them up in the ways of the Lord so maybe there's something there I understand that sounds simplistic but that's what God in his wisdom (laughs) tells the parents of Israel to do in a similar world of evil and wickedness and death and pain it's the same world that we live in today, yep. and the only, the main wisdom that God gives to these parents is raise your child in the ways of the Lord. Yeah,
0: this is fundamentally important, just for us who naturally think like individuals. Like, okay, this world's about me charting my course and making my way. We always need to remember that, no matter what you think is going on in terms of where you fall, a believer, non-believer you are affecting other people. Oh, yes. And your interactions every day, uh, you communicate what you believe about things, how you feel about things. You either communicate anxiety or trust. You communicate encouragement or discouragement. This is just a fundamental fact of being human that we probably don't think about that much just because we we tend to think very much about our goals, about where I want to be. And that's just a fact about who we are, though, is that Kind of our smell and our vibe is always influencing people around us and and communicated to other people, and so for better or worse, especially that is true for our children.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know if this is true with your kids, but uh, a catch that I will pass on my verbiage of
0: frustration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, I would say most yeah. parents have noticed so this. So, the word dang it. I say <laughs> yeah. dang it a lot. Yeah. Right? My
1: son mm-hmm. says dang it mm-hmm. when he does something where he's a little frustrated with it. Oh, yeah. That's like passed on information. Yeah. I'm passing yeah. on frustration or yeah. what yeah. verbs you use yeah. when you are frustrated. Yeah. And I catch that and go, ooh, yeah. that, they're, they're, they're little there's, mirrors. There's yeah, yeah They are like little there. mirrors. And so if we carry around... Stress from our work or stress from our, our own issues, and we're not relying on God. We're not uh, spiritually disciplined. Right? we're not relying on God's word. We're not relying on others. Yep. Um, if we, uh, even if we don't uh, make a habit of confessing our sins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our children will pick up on that, right? The, they will also. Hey, it's not me; it's them. You know, and, and not yeah. recognizing their own need yeah. to confess their own issues because they see mom and dad doing right. it, right? Um, I think this is a, a major issue that um, I think we I think especially as pastors in the church is really getting parents to understand that, like, hey, you know, if you want your children to be raised up on the way to the Lord, you've got to get serious about this. Yeah. Because you all you're doing is you're creating an environment that is well, you're accommodating to their needs, but you're really not caring for their needs. Because you're not caring for your own spiritual needs, right. and so it kind of this workaround way where you are you're trying to be this helicopter parents, but you're totally failing at it because your helicoptering is all these these superficial issues, yeah. and it's not the heart issue of their soul. Yeah. Because you're not actually caring for your own soul, yeah. and so that and churches have got to stop working over the parents' head, and so we'll we'll kind of facilitate or accommodate to children. And then, kind of like ignore the souls of parents and mm-hmm. thinking that's going to be the best thing for the child when it's not. It's yeah. the parents where we really need to be yeah. focusing our time and our energy.
0: On. Yeah, and and so please, everyone, take this in an encouraging manner because this is not another burden to oh, throw yeah. on you. Yeah, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. just realize that that this is, it has a flow to it, so that you, in a lot of ways, are your child's ceiling spiritually. They're not going to go oh, beyond yeah. to you. It's
1: so good, and yeah.
0: and so. In a lot, I mean, the encouragement here is look, if you haven't done anything you've enjoyed for a month, do something that is just that you enjoy. And if your kids like it too, maybe they come, maybe they don't. But look, you do not have to leave your life behind. And, and you know, um, there's, there's this weird uh, kind of pendulum that has swung. I hear these stories. I mean, my dad tells me about when he was a kid, and he was one of five. And they would visit somebody's house and his dad would say, you sit down right there. All five of you don't get up. You don't go to the bathroom. You don't do anything. And they grew up in this era where children were to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. And look, mental illness has been with us, but it existed in that generation and it exists in this generation. It's not as if we've come up with this silver bullet. Well, yeah. like, oh, if we tell our children they matter. Our pendulum has swung so much that kids are almost a trophy in a lot of yeah. families. Right. And to the extent that I really appreciated this that was brought up, don't don't be too concerned about what other parents are doing, about trying to be the uh, most supportive, the most encouraging, the parent who goes to everything, who has their kid involved in everything. Are we so concerned about what other parents think of us because that can be an idol just like anything else. You can be a prideful parent. And that is that is spiritual ill. That is, that is being sick spiritually to be a prideful parent where you go, well, nobody's doing, you know, nobody's as behind their kid as I am. It's like, no. It's not a competition. Right. We're actually, actually, according to the scripture, we are a household. So we are to be there for each other. Right. Uh, it, not, uh, we are not to be looking at each other going, you know, wow, look at, you know, Matt. He's got a lot of long way to go to be the parent that I am. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Right. And we can become, as parents, so exhausted and guilt-ridden and having failed to have boundaries. And, and it is just unbelievable to think there are a lot of parents who are getting to that point and going, but it's for my kid's own good. No, it's not. I mean, right. you will pass down to them exhaustion mm-hmm. and guilt mm-hmm. and frustration.
1: Yeah. And... Uh yeah, again, I think as as, as parents, you know, um, there's just so many things that you can almost create these evaluations, or the role of evaluating me on what my kids do, you know, if, if my kids, based on how much great what grades they get, how successful they are in their like extracurriculars, mm-hmm. and, um, and and you can you can go nuts that based off what they do it affects mm-hmm. how how much of a parent you are. And um, I think I just—we gotta let kids, like make mistakes. Um, they are sinners. They're gonna—they're going to be lazy, just like you were. Yep. They're gonna not want to do their homework, just like you did. Um, they're gonna want to watch too much TV, just like you did. Yep. Uh, and that's like—that's—that's that's just how life is. Right. Um, and as we encourage them in the word of God as we pray over them as we point them to scripture as we um, engage them on that level um, as we treat them like intellectual people who have opinions that may differ than us mm-hmm. then we, and we, we show them some of the things of the world like we show them movies and we show them music that we listen to and things mm-hmm. that we like uh, and maybe they like it too and we have that area we can interconnect or maybe they hate it and mm-hmm. they like something you hate like, that is a part of mm-hmm. how it goes. Yeah. And we we love them, and we care for them. And I, I think this is something, and I think more parents should tell this themselves this more often. The day that that child comes out of the womb, you should probably look at it and say, Hey, God has called me to steward over you. Mm-hmm. I am not your owner. Right. I am not your God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not your slave. I'm just simply your steward. I'm steward, steward over you. I am to to pass on the things I'm supposed to pass on to you. And you're responsible for your sin. I'm not responsible for your sin. And I think all those things, if parents could say that honestly and go, I'm going to love you until the day that you have to leave and take care of yourself, then my relationship with you is going to change, right, which is natural and good. Um, But on the road to that, I'm going to show you some stuff. I'm going to teach you some things. We're gonna to cry together. We're gonna to laugh together, mm-hmm. and you're gonna go through some painful situations, and I'm gonna to have to sit there watch with you. Yeah. and and that's the way a parent goes. And, and I love the way, as a parent, I think the more you recognize how God feels about us, and that I mean, God doesn't protect us, I and mean, we want God to like not allow pain to injury in our world, but He does allow pain to injury in Why? Because it's typically the best way to mold us in the person mm, yeah. that God wants us to be. Right. And, and parents, that's why parents make horrible gods right. because they don't want their children to suffer. Right. But yet a God who's all wisdom and all power allows his children to suffer. Yeah. There's something we can learn from that as we learn more about God and his character, that he shows grace, he shows discipline, he allows things to happen that will hurt us for us to grow and I think all of those things should help us as we grow as parents. Yeah. yeah, this has been Enterprise of the Future and hope you've enjoyed this and we'll be back next week.